have you ever, uh, have you ever heard wrong? You can talk to me. If you're, if you're new here, I, I like this to be a dialogue, not a one-way conversation. Let me know you're with me. And uh, if you do, we'll get out of here faster. Have you ever heard wrong? Okay. <laughs> yeah, like you, you thought you heard something you didn't hear, or you thought you heard an invitation that wasn't an invitation, or you thought you heard an insinuation that they weren't insinuationing. You, you ever heard wrong or you thought you heard somebody say something they didn't say something at all like there's been many times I'm laying in bed with my wife at the end of the day and we're doing what modern-day couples do we're on our phones don't judge me you do it too modern-day romance hey baby yeah, and I, there's many times, though, I'll just be sitting there, and maybe this just reveals I have a complex, I don't know, but I'll turn to her and I'll say, did you say something? Or I'll just say, what? She'll say, I didn't say anything. You ever just hear things? You ever think you heard something and you didn't hear it? I find this a lot. Probably the most common place that I can prove that you often hear wrong is in music lyrics. Am I right? Like you think you heard something that you didn't actually hear. I thought I heard a lyric and now you've probably sung it that way for a decade or 20 years and come to find out some gracious, probably not so gracious person told you, that's not the right word. You ever done that? Like how easy that is? Like, we got, like for instance, I, there's that song a couple years ago, Taylor Swift launched, uh, you know, play is gonna play, 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 baby. You know that one? It'll be stuck in your head all day now. But there's this line, I think, she, I think she says, Faker's gonna fake, which I don't know what that means, but for some reason, I always hear her say, Baker's gonna bake, 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 baby. Know. Why wouldn't she write about bakers baking? They're gonna bake. It's true. But like, we've all known that. Like the, the old Elton John song, Tiny Dancer. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> right? Uh, the Beatles, let's go back for some of you. Uh, the, the Lucy's in the sky with Linus. The girl with colitis goes by. <laughs> right? Like, it's so easy to hear the wrong lyrics. Like, uh, remember the Rolling Stones song, Beast of Burden? I won't be your beast of burden. I won't be your pizza burning, right? Like, that's my best. Mick, that's chubby guy Mick Jagger right there. That's the, I'm not skinny enough to do Mick Jagger, but anyway. But we know what it is to hear wrong. We've, we've heard the wrong lyric. We've heard the wrong invitation. And, and I know I'm having fun here today, but as we journey through this idea in this series called How to Start a Fire, and we talk about how do you come fully alive? Like, how do you find true life and meaning? And last week we talked about how we believe that's found in God and that God is the author of life and God is a consuming fire. And that's why we've always associated with the terminology of fire, power and beauty and meaning and purpose. And, and we, we use that language around it. And so when it comes to this idea of finding the fire and finding life, I think a lot of us hum the wrong lyrics. I think a lot of us, we, we heard the wrong invitation. We heard the wrong word. And there's a song that we sing in our hearts that tells us, you know what? I don't have the fire. I need to acquire the fire. I need to go get it. I need to get that money or I need to get that girl. I need to get that job or I need to get that promotion. And there's something in us out of a place of longing and lack that causes us to reach for and try to find and catch what is eluding us. There is a song that rattles in the bones of our soul that says life is obtained. 
I can find it in a drug. I can find it in a relationship. I can find it in a purchase. I can find it in a job. I can find it in fame and fortune. I just know it's out there and I got to go get it. But today I want to just teach on some good news today, and that is this, that you may have been, I suspect you have, been humming the wrong lyrics and assuming, like everybody else does, that if I am going to find life, i got to go get it. Or maybe even worse than that, you've grown up in church or some religion that says, if I'm going to find life, i got to earn it. I gotta do good and I gotta go to church and I gotta pray the prayers and I gotta wear the clothes and I gotta do the stuff so that I can find and connect with God who is life. But here is the great news and I just, I hope, I hope this lands in your heart today. Life is not obtained, it is received. Life is not something you catch or get or make. This is not a fire you start. You are not Tom Hanks in your life. That's not what you do. Life is given by a gift called grace. Grace is the absolute source of our lives. And I want to talk to you today about Letting grace touch you. The title of my message today is Feel the Burn. Touched by grace. We're talking about revival, personal revival. We're talking about being lit on fire and coming to life. And I have great news for you today. The fire of God in your life is not a fire you have to start. We didn't start the fire. It was always burn. I got a song in my heart today. I'm just gonna. No, it's not a, it's not a fire you start. And so many of us, if you, if you grew up outside of a religious tradition, you are led to believe from culture that I, I got to get the fire in a purchase or a job or some relationship. Maybe I'll find it here or there. And if you grew up in religion, you, you probably were sold this idea that I need to do good things so that the fire will take root in my life. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're singing the wrong lyrics to the song. Life is found in the gift of God's grace. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what grace is and how it is the source of all life. If God is going to revive your heart, if God is going to change your life, if God is going to revive this church, it's not going to be because we found some secret wisdom. It's not going to be because we prayed some special prayer. It's going to be because the love and grace of God invaded our hearts and changed everything. It's grace. And I want to talk about letting grace the, feel the burn of grace. If you have a Bible, I'll get you to turn it to Isaiah chapter 6. I saw a few Bibles being passed out. If you want a Bible to follow along, just shoot your hand up. One of our guys in their red shirts will give you a Bible. It's our gift to you. Isaiah chapter 6, I want to show, I want to draw this picture of what grace does and how this all works and how it's actually a gift of God that brings us to life. And I want to, I want to look at a passage of scripture where a person is touched by fire. And it's a metaphor for our lives for when we are touched by the grace of God and how this looks and works. And I want to show you what grace does in your life. Isaiah chapter 6 says this, that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now let's just pause there for a second. There's a man named Isaiah, and he is writing this. And he's writing a vision that he had. I don't know if he was sleeping. I don't know if he was praying. But he, in a moment, had this revelation where he actually saw God. And he says that it happened in the year King Uzziah died, and now this is significant, 
This represents a coming to the end of our strength. Uzziah was one of the greatest kings of Israel. He was, he was a war hero. He, was a, he had the greatest, most powerful army. He built up the treasury. He built up technology. Like this guy in the world standards was a great success. But near the end of his reign, he got twisted in his mind and decided, you know what? I'm awesome, and I'm going to go into the temple of God, and I'm going to worship my God however I want. And he formed a God in his own image, essentially, and gave himself license to do it how he wants. And he found himself stricken with leprosy and excluded and secluded for the rest of his life until he died a sick and lonely man. And it's a picture of a person who ascended to the height of human power and ingenuity and achievement only to fall so short of actual life. It's about coming to the end of yourself. That's what the year King Uzziah died. I hope this is that year for you. I hope this is the year you decide, you know what, I'm just not getting it done. I've tried and I've tried and I've failed and now here I am at the end of myself, I need help. The year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God. There is only one God. And he said, I saw him and you've seen other gods, you've, you thought you knew, but I gotta tell you, he was high and exalted, like there was nothing like this God. He was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these mighty angelic beings, which is hard for us to wrap our heads around, but I'll tell you something, if these seraphim appeared right here, you'd hit the floor in their presence. You would. These are the most mighty, magnificent, creative beings. And it says that these seraphim are so blown away by the majesty and holiness and might of God, they can't even look at him. Look what it says. It says, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. That's how holy it is in the presence of God. These angelic beings who have never sinned, they can't get near this God. They can't even look on him. The Bible says you can't even look on God and live. He is an all-consuming fire. He is that magnificent, that holy, that incredible. And Isaiah gets this glimpse of this God. By the grace of God, God shows a glimpse of his grandeur. I suspect it was only a fringe of the reality, but it was enough to render Isaiah into a heap. Watch what happens next. It says, with two wings, the seraphim covered their faces. And two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There they are, these two magnificent beings just caught up in worship of the magnificent of this creator God, the one in whom holds all things together, the one in whom holds the universe in his hands. They are there before him worshiping this incredible almighty God. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook at the sound of their worship. That's how powerful these beings are, and they are rendered useless in front of this God. Expand your mind on who God is. The whole temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah has this revelation where he has this moment where he is arrested by the realization that one, there is a God. Let me just press that on you. Maybe you're here and you're not, you're not sure. Maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you're an atheist. I want to push back on you and I want to say there is a God. 
There is a creator. There is one who you were his idea. This world was his idea. He formed this. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. There is a God, and I pray you have that revelation someday. And I pray it's, not, it's before it's too late. Maybe some of you have had it. Maybe you remember the day where your eyes were open, the eyes of your hearts were open, and you saw that there is a God. Did you have a revelation like Isaiah? Probably not, but you had a moment. Maybe you were standing on a beach and you just saw the sun set and you thought, yeah, there is no way this is coincidental. There is someone or something behind all of this. Maybe you were in a church service and you didn't even remember what the preacher was saying, but you just felt this presence to this greater reality. See, Isaiah had this moment where he realized, oh my God, there is a God. And then he saw this, that he is holy. He is holy, that he is perfect and matchless and incredible. Have you ever, ever been around something that's like so clean that you don't want to even, like, it's like my, my grandmother's house. Like, I don't want to go inside because I'm going to mess it up. There's a level of that when we talk about God and when we get in proximity to God. God is pure. He is holy. He is other. There is nothing wrong in him. He is pure and bright and life and light. That is who this God is. He's holy. And so when Isaiah sees this, he sees the light of the reality of this God. Watch what happens next. He says in verse 5, Woe to me! I cried. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I assure you that if you don't come to a place where you sense the weight of your brokenness and barrenness and the reality of who you really are, you have not seen the Lord. Because when your eyes are open and you come to this place, the first thing that happens before you feel the warmth of grace, and we're gonna get there, but I gotta press on this for a second, that before you feel that, you sense the full weight of who you aren't and who you actually are. All of your delusion and all of your pretension and all the lies you tell yourself are burned away in the presence of this God. There have been times where I have been in the, in the presence of God in a worship time or a prayer time and I felt the weight press in in such a way that I just had to get on the floor because I couldn't be in his presence. It was that heavy. That's what the holiness of God does. It causes you to draw back. Why? Because we know we are not compatible. That's what sin is. There's this old word, the Bible uses it sometimes. You may have heard it in church depending on where you grew up. There's this word iniquity used for sin. That actually roots from the word inequ like inequity. We, we could call it that. That we are actually incompatible. That was inequality between us and God. That God is sinless and y'all, we are not. The Bible talks about sin and you're not gonna hear this. You're not gonna hear this out of political speech. You're not going to hear a politician or a world leader get up. You're not going to hear Trump get up and say, you know what the real problem is with America? Sin. But the Bible actually says that is the root of every problem on this planet. It's sin. It's a broken, deceitful, destructive heart that lies within every human being. 
And the Bible doesn't actually, like, it's not loose about it at all. When you read your Bible, it actually is very clear about what sin is. And I'm thankful for that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you hate a doctor if you went to a doctor and you said, hey, what's wrong? And you had cancer and they, he told you you have a cold? If he downplayed the actual reality? See, the Bible, what it does when you put it up to your life is it reveals the truth about who you are. That's what the Ten Commandments are for. Did you know that? The Ten Commandments were never for you to actually climb to God. It was to prove the fact that you're broken. It's a diagnostic tool. That's why God gave the Ten Commandments. So you could know, I need grace. The Bible talks about sin. Sin is the very thing that actually detaches us from God. That's the reason you're searching for fire in the first place. Did you know that? That's why you're going through life looking for something that can actually ignite life somewhere in your soul. It's because you're in search of God. It's because from your life's first cry, you were detached from your actual creator and the very source of life in the universe. You were actually broken off from that because of the reality of sin. That's why when you go through life and you, you go from this thing to the next thing, hoping that that's going to quench and satisfy your soul, every time it doesn't. You know, I thought if I just got married, that thing that was missing in my life would, would be gone. And now you find out you're married, you love your spouse, but it's still there. You know, I thought if I just had a kid and I became a parent, I thought that's what I was looking for. So I had kids and I loved them, but um, there's still something missing. I thought if I just got that promotion and I just got more power in the workplace, then I'd feel like I've arrived and I'm satisfied. But now I'm there and I still feel empty. And every celebrity in this world could attest to the fact that at the top, you're just as far in the pit as anybody else. It's because there is a hole, a capacity inside of your soul. Solomon, the richest, most powerful man who ever lived, said that God has set eternity himself in the heart of man. And you are born with a capacity and a longing inside of you for God and God alone. And it is actually sin that has broken us from that relationship. It's sin that has detached you from that connection to God. Isaiah 59, he would later say, Isaiah, your sin, your iniquity has separated you from God. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John 3, 3, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. He says, listen, no one can experience the kingdom. No one can get into the reality of God unless you are born again, made into a new person. Because the sinful you can't come in. That's the great problem with all this. Because of sin, you cannot approach God. You'll get engulfed. The Bible says sin detaches us. And here's the difficult thing about sin, and I felt it in the room all weekend as I preached this message. We are delusional about it. We're deceived about the reality of sin. Here's something I know to be true because it's been true in my life. And I'll say it of you. No one has lied to you or deceived you about you more than you. Like no one has been more delusional and deceptive about your own life than you yourself. We're incredible at, at working around reality, aren't we? We're incredible at justifying and deceiving ourselves from the truth. I wasn't gossip. I was just concerned. Oh, it wasn't a lie. I was just extending the truth. Oh, that wasn't greed. That was just me. I want more. <laughs> We're amazing, amazing at deceiving ourselves and looking away from the reality of our broken, 
busted heart. And it's not usually until God, through his grace, shows you the truth about you. That's what happened to Isaiah. He had a moment where he saw the truth about himself. Some of you hit rock bottom in your life and you finally saw the truth about yourself and you finally realized I have screwed up and I have given up and I've come to the end of myself. Just the same way that Uzziah, his life was over, in that same moment, Isaiah has this revelation. He says, I am done too, I wanna die because I'm a man of unclean lips. See, we're deceived. And the difficulty about sin, I'm going to press in on this just for one more minute, and then I'm going to get to the good news, I promise. But you cannot appreciate the good news until you understand the weight of the bad news. That's why in that famous song, Amazing Grace, it says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fear relieved. But you have got to understand the reality of sin. The problem of sin is not what you do, it's who you are. You see, you may have been taught, and, and you know, good parents teach their kids right from wrong, and you do this and you don't do that. But here's the reality of sin. The, the bad stuff you have done in your life, that's, that's, that's transgressions, but sin is the thing in you that causes you to do those things. See, we isolate the fruit of sin and we say, that's sin. No, that's the fruit of sin. You lied because of sin that is in you. It's your sinful, broken heart that causes you to sin. See, sin is a problem in all of us and it's at the core of who we are. And we stand at odds with holy God. I've got to let you feel that for a second. The Bible says everybody has sinned, which means that you are not holy and you are incompatible to connect and receive from holy almighty God. So that's a great problem. Sin has deceived us and it causes us, it's a disease that's within us and it means ultimately, and the Bible does not pull any punches on this, in the end, God will judge sin. I know this, this, is, this is the end of this sin talk, but you've got to get this. In the end, God will destroy all sin. That's why the Bible is so vehement about judgment. Because God will destroy sin. And some of us, we get offended by that and we think, what's your problem, God? God hates sin the same way a parent hates an illness or a sickness that's taking the life of its child. God wants to judge and destroy anything that degrades and destroys life itself. And sin is the very thing that is causing death. It's causing life. It's causing the degradation of God's creation. That's why he will judge it. And so there's a great problem, isn't there? If sin is in you, that puts you at odds with God and you are destined for destruction. And I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. If this is your first time, I'm gonna get to the good news, but I gotta love you enough to tell you the truth. Like John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish. There is a will not perish in there. What's that mean? That people who don't believe in him, what? Say it, will perish. That's what the Bible says. And, and you can read around it all you want, but the truth is in there. It says that you are either redeemed by Jesus or you perish. There is no in-between. 
And Isaiah has this just heart-wrenching moment of clarity where he hits the floor and his pride is gone, his delusions about himself is gone. If he was thinking himself as the great prophet of God, that no longer was a thing. He just saw God and he saw himself as he is and there he is lying in a heap on the floor saying, I am undone, I want to die, I want to crawl under a rock, I got to get out of here. And it's in that place, at rock bottom, when he could do nothing and he did do nothing, that grace comes to him. Watch what happens next. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. Then it says in verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me. It flew to me, verse six, bring it up. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal. Now get that picture in your hand, a burning ember, heat, fire. He flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. Get that picture as well. An instrument, he grabbed the burning coal, and then it says, with it he touched my mouth. He touched me. He touched my mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, why am I getting jacked up and excited? Because that is a picture of grace. That is what grace looks like. It's, it finds you at rock bottom. I love that while Isaiah, I don't even know how far away he is from the throne, but he is in a heap of sin and shame. He knows all too well now who he really is. He's feeling the weight and burden of his life. He, he feels the whole thing crashing down. And it says that God sent one of his angels. The seraphim, did you know they're God's attendant angels? They're extensions of God's will himself. And it says that one of the seraphim grabbed a burning holy ember representing in the presence and holiness of God. And it says, he flew to me. You see, you gotta understand this about grace. You gotta understand this about the fire of God. Grace comes to you. This is so countercultural, and you need to hear this. This is so against the grain of every other religion in this world. Every religion, every, every human institution, it's all about getting up. It's all about ascending. How can I climb higher? If it's a religion, how can I get to God? How can I reach you know, nirvana? How can I maximize my karma? How can I do better? That's not the message of grace. The message of grace is that while we were still sinners, we were in a heap on the ground, grace left heaven and came to earth and touched us and brought us to life. Let, let that sink in. Just feel the burn of that. The Bible says, John chapter 1, John was one of Jesus' best friends. He was like probably the tightest with Jesus. And he says in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. 
And the word was God, and the word was with God. It says, behold, we, have, we, we saw his glory, full of grace and truth. And it says that the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Just like the burning ember, Jesus, the Bible says, was born of a virgin. He came from heaven to earth, and that grace came from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, that he, he grew up and he began to teach the truth, illuminating like a flaming torch, illuminating the truth and burning away lies and burning away pride and burning away religion. He was burning it all up. He was going from town to town, touching people, healing them, freeing them, liberating them, showing them grace. And then it says that he was, he was led into Jerusalem and he gave himself over to the authorities, not just the Romans, the Jews and the, the authorities and the principalities of this world. He turned himself over. He allowed himself to be nailed on an instrument an instrument of death, a Roman cross. They nailed him to a cross, they raised him up, and he bled out and died. And that is a picture of the altar. That actually it's the cross that is the point in which the deity touched humanity. It is that point of exchange. It is the point of encounter. It is the place in which grace touched humanity. It's on the cross where Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you can, if you're a history buff, history backs up that Jesus of Nazareth was a man and he was murdered by the Romans. And this man went around for three years claiming to be God, claiming to be grace, claiming to be freedom. And he died for humanity and it was on the cross that grace touched the earth. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what does grace do? I'm glad you asked. Because we talk about grace in these terms, but if you don't know what it does for you, then that's one of the reasons you don't get excited. That's why you can say, it's the good news of God's grace. The gospel actually trans translates good News. That's why when Jesus said, go and tell people about me everywhere, be heralds of the good news, proclaim the good news of God's grace. That is your job as a Christian. And everything serves that vision. And here's what grace does. First thing, and I want you to just feel this, and if you've never felt grace before, open your mind and your heart up to this. Maybe you have felt grace before, but it's been so long. Ask God to just renew and restore that fresh touch in you. But here's the first thing that grace has done for you. By Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, grace has reconciled you. It has reconciled you. It has made you right with God. This means that you are accepted by God. Now let that burn. Feel the burn. You are accepted by God. Through the grace of Jesus, the Bible says you can boldly approach the throne of grace. Like this same God that is so holy and so matchless and so wonderful that you can't look on him and live. Through the grace of Jesus, you can walk up to the throne of grace and be fully accepted. You, broken, busted you. Yeah, God knows everything about you. And he says, by my grace, I have reconciled you. You have been accepted. How much of your life have you spent longing to belong? Longing to be accepted. 
That's that hole inside of you, and it is looking for acceptance by the living God. And here's the great news. You have been accepted. When you put your faith in Jesus, God accepts you. He reconciles you. He repairs the broken relationship. We said sin disconnects you. Grace reconnects you. That's what grace has done. So let that settle in. Some of you feel far from God. You're only as far as grace. Some of you feel like, you know what, I, I, I can't, I got a long way to get back to God. And I, I talk to some of you sometimes, you're like, yeah, you know, I just want to get, get back right with God. You're right with God by grace and grace alone. And that's it. Some of you, you're just coming back to church and you skipped a year. You're like, you're, <laughs> it's fall and you came back two years later. Did you know that grace is right there for you? You don't have to put your time in and earn your place back in right standing with God. You aren't made right by your church attendance. You aren't made right by how you sing the songs. You're not made right by how much scripture you read. You are made right by grace alone. Oh, feel it. Feel that. It's so freeing. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Did you know that you don't find God, he finds you? Jesus one time was teaching a crowd just like this. I said, Jesus, tell us, tell us what God's like. Tell us about the kingdom. He said, well, the kingdom, I, I'm the good shepherd. And he said, it's like, it's like a shepherd who lost one sheep and he left the 99 and he went and looked high and low until he found the one sheep. You see, grace is looking for you. He said, it's like, it's like a woman who had a coin, a real precious coin, and, and she lost it, and she turned her house upside down to find that coin. And when she found it, great joy came to her heart. And then he said the famous one, I've preached on this before, he said, it's, or it's like, it's like a father who had two sons, and one son decided to just betray his father and say, I wish you were dead, give me what's mine. And he took his inheritance, and he went off to a faraway land, squandered his wealth, and at rock bottom, he finally realized what he had in the father, and he decides, I need to get back and make things right with my dad. And so he prepares a speech, and he decides, I'm going to trek back to the homeland. And the Bible says, Jesus says, this father, he saw his boy from a long way off, and he ran to meet him. And he wrapped his arms around him. One translation says he fell on his neck and accepted him. Like the boy didn't even get to read his speech. God accepts you by grace. See, you're accepted by this God. He has reconciled you to himself. You see, grace reconciles us. It reconnects us to the very life source in which you've been looking for the whole time. And it's only by grace. Let me rail on this. There's nothing you can do or say. You just have to receive the grace and goodness of God. Say, God, I need your grace. Would you touch me? Grace reconciles you. Feel the burn. Grace has made you right with God. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm right with God? Grace makes you right. See, a lot of the time we think that we're going to stand before God someday. You know what? Most people in the world are believers of some kind. They just don't believe the right thing. 
There are, there's a very low percentage of actual atheists in the world. Most people have some semblance of God. It's just they think that when they stand before God, they're going to put back their track record, and they're going to say, well, I did this and this and this, and this is why you should accept me. But the Bible says that you could stack morality on, on the top of itself for eternity. You'll never do enough to actually reach God. And there's one thing and one thing alone that you can say for God to welcome you into eternal heaven, and that is Jesus. Grace. Grace reconciles you. Grace doesn't just reconcile you, but it also restores you. Think about this. God doesn't just welcome you in, but just like Jesus said, he puts his coat upon you. He puts the ring on your finger. He restores your position in the family. The Bible says that God is faithful. If we confess our sins, if you humble yourself, God is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that by grace, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your mistakes, all of your problems, all of your baggage, all of those things you drag behind you in a shameful wake, God wipes clean. That's what the gospel is. It's this great exchange where Jesus was shamed so that you could be set free. Jesus took your shame and offers you his righteousness. That's the great exchange of the gospel. That's what grace is all about. It's this great exchange. His righteousness, Jesus' perfect track record. You know that Jesus Christ never sinned. Jesus Christ never stumbled. And he says, at the cross, I'll exchange. I will take on your track record. You take on my glory, and you get to be in right standing with God. That's amazing news. Like, let that sink in. If you have put your faith in Christ, you've humbled yourself, confessed your sins to him, if you've put your faith and said, Jesus, give me grace, he freely gives you grace to the point in which when God sees you, he sees his son. He doesn't see what you did last night. He doesn't see what you failed to do last week. He doesn't see how you screwed it up back here. When he sees you, if you are in Christ, he sees your son. Ephesians 2 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You're brand new. Grace cleanses you. It restores you. It makes you new. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's grace. Let it sink in. Some of you Christians, you walk in condemnation. You don't need to. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus. You wear the righteousness of Christ, not your track record. Be free. Feel the burn of that. Leave free. God is not holding your sins against you. You are a brand new creation. Wow. Let it settle in your heart. Feel the burn of grace. Grace also regenerates you. It doesn't just deal with the sin on you but it deals with the sin in you. We talked about how sin is this eternal, pro it's this internal problem. It's actual disease within us. There is capacity and destruction in us. And sin, uh, grace actually deals with the sin problem in you, not just with your sins that are on you. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but here's the reality. It's actually grace that causes you to change. It's grace that gives you the power to transform. So many of you have grown up in a, maybe a holiness tradition in church where you were told that you have to, you know what, do these things and then you'll change. And you need to be good and you need to pray these prayers and you, you can't smoke or chew or go with girls who do and all that stuff. 
You were told those things, and you were fed the bill that I'm transformed by my own strength. No, you're not. You are transformed by grace alone. Grace takes root in your heart, and it changes you from the inside out. This is why you have to embrace grace. This is why you have to let it hit your heart, because you will never change, and you will never live a life on fire until that coal gets to your heart. You never will. I mean, I've said this before. I feel like my life sometimes is a lot like my lawn. And I'll mow it, and it'll look beautiful for about 20 minutes. And then the old weeds will start popping up. And that's my life. Like, I'll come to church, and I'll hear the preacher, and I'll feel inspired, and I'll go, okay, I'm going to be good. And I go out, and I'm, like, cussing somebody out in the parking lot before I even leave church. Here come the weeds. But the Bible says it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's grace that changes you. You should be changing, but it's not because you willpowered it or white-knuckled it. It's because that amazing grace took root in your heart and it started to transform you from the inside out. Isn't that amazing? That means there's no pressure even in your behavior. The pressure on you is to just find Jesus and love Jesus. And he says, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. It regenerates you. It changes you. Some of you have changed a lot. See, the world says that, says that with negativity. You've changed. Dang straight, I've changed. I'm a new creation. Grace is changing me. I'll tell you what, I am not perfect. I've still got issues that God is working on, but I am not the same individual I was. Grace is changing me. It's transforming me. It's taking root in my heart, and it's growing new life in me. That's what grace does. Do you, are you seeing the point of this? The whole fire of God, the coming to, to light, the whole revival fire is a work of grace. And so if we come through this series and you think, okay, what do I got to do to start the fire? You don't. You say, grace, touch me. Jesus, touch me. Renew my heart. Revive my soul. Show my need for you and touch my heart with your grace. I'll wrap up here. I'll invite the band back, and we're going we're gonna to finish off here. It says in verse 8, it says that Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord. So he has this moment. He's touched by grace. And said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I love this. And he said, Here I am. Send me. Did you notice he doesn't even know where he's going? It's like, wait, can I get a brochure? Like, where are, you, where are, you head, where are we heading, Jesus? No, he doesn't even know. Why? He's so alive in God. He's so on fire and ignited. I mean, God just restored him and redeemed him and regenerated him. And now he is set out redeemed and on purpose. See, grace actually, feel the burn of this, it actually redeems you. It purposes you. It sets you on purpose. It makes you come alive. Grace redeems your existence and sets you free into abundant life. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that grace has saved us. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Feel the burn of grace. Feel the burn of reconciliation. God left the throne in the person of Jesus. He became a man and died your death so that you could be reconciled to God. You're made right. Feel that. Just let that settle in for a second. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit speaking things that I can't say. And he's speaking to your heart and you need to hear this. 
that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are right with God. Feel it. Reconcile. You're restored. The Bible says that by his wounds, by his stripes, I've been healed. That he's changing you. He's restoring you. He's regenerating you. It's grace that does that. Some of you, I think you come to church and you feel like, okay, I had to get my new workout plan. I got to figure out how to be a good person. That's not what it is. What we're trying to do here is stoke your love for Jesus in such a way that you leave here just in love and on fire and desiring him and him alone. And as you go with him and you remain in him, it'll bear fruit. Feel the burn of that. Be free of striving. This is why Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because there's nothing, you don't do the hard work. Why is it easy? Because Jesus is carrying it, not you. It's not easy, it's not cheap. He's bearing the weight of it. But he offers you this freedom, like breathe that in. Breathe in the amazing grace of Jesus. Let it touch your heart. I get you to stand, I wanna pray for us. Two groups of people I wanna pray with. The first is for people like me, that you can come to church every week and you can sing the songs and you can talk about grace without shedding a tear. I want God to break me again. I want God to touch my heart like the first time. I wanna be humbled again. I wanna feel my heart beat because of his great love for me again. I, I want to get to a place with him that I can't stand still and I can't shut up and I can't stop crying and I can't stop laughing and clapping because of how good he's been. And I want him to burn my apathy and how lethargic I can be about my faith. I want him to burn it off. And I want some of you to have that moment like that moment you had the first time you knelt down at the altar and said, Jesus, have my life. That's revival, church. Revival is what God does to the heart of his church before he does anything through it. It's a renewal and restoration of your heart. And so I wanna pray for those of us that we've been serving Jesus, but we could say, you know what? I'm not burning as bright as I could. I'm not as hot as I could be. I, I've squandered some time, or maybe I'm just at a kind of a comfort zone and I want God to reignite me. I'll tell you something, it's only gonna come by grace that he touched your heart and brought you to life. So if you'd pray with me, I'm gonna pray for myself and you can agree for yourself. But let's ask God to do something fresh and new in us. Can we do that? Can we do that? Jesus, I just ask you in this moment, would you just reveal to us reality? Would you, in this season, in this season in my life and in our church, would you, would we have a moment like Isaiah where we see reality, we see that you're there, that you're holy, that you're mighty, that you're glorious, that you're good. Would it, would it be such a revelation that we wouldn't talk flippantly about the Lord God Almighty, but with reverence we would think about you. When we wake up in the morning, would we think about you? As we go through our day, would we, would we think about you? Would we worship you and revere you? As we lay down our head, would you be the last thought before we sleep? Lord, would you restore our vision, we pray. 
God, I ask that your grace would touch our hearts. Lord, for the one who knows about grace intellectually, but they never experienced your grace in their hearts, Lord, would you touch us afresh and anew? Would we experience that amazing, incredible grace that reconciles us and restores us and redeems us and makes us new. It forgives us and offers us mercy. It raises us to life. God, would you burn in us in such a way that it burns all the other stuff off of us? It makes us holy. It makes us new. Lord, would you just revive my heart? If you want God to revive your heart, would you just put your hand up? Lord, would you revive my heart by your grace? Would you take me back to that cross where I humbled myself and received a grace that I did not earn or deserve, where you paid a debt you did not owe? Because I owed a debt I could not pay. Lord, would you renew my heart? Would you help me return to my first love, I pray? Revive my soul. Bring me to life. Touch me by your grace, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. I want to do one more thing. I think there are some of you who are here who you would say, I've never been touched by grace. The Bible says, like I read earlier, that if you are faithful to confess your sins to him, he is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and touch you. And I felt as though there are some that God would save today. And maybe you can't say today that I am right with God. I wanna give you that opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm gonna to count to three and I want you, if you are feeling like, you know what? I need grace today. I need God to touch me and save me. I have squandered my life. I know exactly how Isaiah feels. I feel the weight of my sin and I need grace. I wanna tell you today, there's grace for you. And it's on the other side of your faith. And so I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to shoot your hand up if you wanna receive grace for the first time. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that grace is made available for you in this moment. So don't wait another day, receive the grace of God. If that's you on the count of three, when I say three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, grace is for you and you need it. Two, today is the day of salvation. Three, if you wanna receive grace for the first time, would you put your hand up, just put it up high. For the first time. I see you, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. You can put them down. Church, whole bunch of hands. Let's praise God. Jesus, we thank you today for salvation. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you that you showed us mercy when we didn't deserve mercy. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for finding us. We thank you for restoring us. We thank you for bringing us to life. You are the great King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You are the great Savior. We love you.